Uh, today we're going to be continuing the series on the Word of God. Uh, the, the big thing that we're looking at today is how God's Word is so different than our own, uh, or how God's words are different than our own words. Uh, we're going to be looking in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 11, and we're doing well at this, so I'm going to ask everybody to stand in reverence to the Word and uh, building some culture. If you've missed the last two weeks, uh, this is a surprise to you. What we're trying to do is just give special reverence and moment uh, to the Word of God so that we don't treat it like all the rest of the things that are shared and said, uh, because it definitely does deserve that special place. Um, I'm going to read it out loud, and you can follow along on the screen. And then as soon as I can actually read without making an error, we might even try reading it together. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 11. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will pardon for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose, the, it, that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today to recognize the authority and the efficacy of your word, the power of your word. Help us to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a commonly held idea that there is an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. And the Old Testament God is angry and cranky, and the New Testament God is kind and nice. It's kind of like a pre-morning coffee and a post-morning coffee Jesus, right? <laughs> it's like, don't talk to him before you get to the New Testament, because, whew, is the, <laughs> the wrath of God on full display on the left side of the Bible. So we want to stay on the right side of the Bible. And actually, if you go with that logic, the end of the Bible is pretty terrifying as well. So you really, there's a really safe spot in like Third John that you can live in for just a minute. Um, <laughs> and even that if you're not reading it well. Uh, the reality is that it's not a different God. There wasn't a different God. It's, it's, you, certainly, certainly we see different attributes, but it's not to the exclusion of the other attributes of God. Uh, in the Old Testament, we do see the grace and the mercy of our Lord on display. And this is one of those verses where, we get, we, where we, get to, we get to look at this and we get to realize that, oh, it's the same God, it's the same plan, it's the same purpose, doing the same thing. Uh, we just get to be beneficiaries of knowing that much more had been accomplished now than had yet been accomplished then. 
And so what we see is we see that uh, people are living in sin and they're rejecting, they're rejecting God and, and he sends these prophets and these prophets come and they declare the goodness of God. It's always a call back. Come back into the house. Give, your, give whatever you're not giving or surrender whatever you're not surrendering. Love whatever you're not loving. Care for whatever you're not caring for. Return to God. And we see this in Isaiah 55. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he's near. And in this, we, we learn that there's a, there's a time frame where we have, it's a window of opportunity where God is pressing in our hearts and we can respond to him. But that time doesn't last forever. There's an expiration date on the grace and the mercy of God being available to us. That expiration date, uh, very practically speaking, would be your death, right? Your death is simply going to ratify, it's going to stamp the condition of your spiritual reality. In whatever state you're in, you're going to continue in for all of eternity. So if you're spiritually dead, you remain dead for all of eternity and the consequences that come with that. If you're spiritually alive and you've been transformed and renewed or made new, then, then it's stamped alive, made new, alive, and you live forever in life, in the glory, and the presence of God. So you get to enjoy Him and the benefits therein. Without the limitations of flesh and blood, without the limitations of getting weary and tired and humidity and gnats and mosquitoes, right? All those obnoxious things that make it difficult for us to love God well and to love one another well. Marriage won't exist in, in, in heaven or in, in our forever aliveness, right? It won't exist in heaven the way that it exists now because we're going to love better, and the marriage and the intimacy that we enjoy in marriage, we try, we fight so hard to enjoy in marriage. Good job not amening there, right? <laughs> what we fight for so hard, we're going to be able to, to love without the hindrance of sin and selfishness and self-righteousness and self-dependence self and self-assurance. Because we will fully behold love and love will fully behold us. And so, so it ratifies it. But there is a time where God is pressing on our hearts and we have the opportunity to respond. And, and the prophet is coming and he's declaring, hey, get in while the getting's good. Get in while you can. He says, call upon the Lord while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. I think it's awesome that he provides a multi-step plan, uh, a multi-step plan right here for us. You know, if it, was a, if it was a commercial, it'd be a multi-step plan for a new and transformed you, and it'd be five steps. And here are these five steps for us today. They're modified, and I'll, I'll share what it looks like at the end of the service. Step one is to seek the Lord. You have an eternal longing in your heart. How are you going to respond to that longing? You know, it's a lot easier to look for answers out in space, right? And to, to search jungles for new species and to go down to the, try and go down to the ocean floor and find shipwrecks and, and seeking out adventure and climbing mountains. It's a lot easier to conquer external things than to deal with the internal things of our soul. But because there's this eternal longing for the presence 
and the goodness of God and the love of God to be known by us and for, uh, for us to know God, we have to do something with that longing. So we turn it towards external things. There's a longing that we wrestle with. And so some of us, what we do is we, we turn it into, oh, I'll, just, I'll just excel the best that I possibly can at my job. So we commit our lives to education and to promotion and to certificates and to, and, to, uh, and to opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, hoping that all of these opportunities would someday add up to this longing that's in our soul. Only to find out that it, it doesn't really. Only to find out that so often the people who have what appears to be everything are the people who say, I chased the wrong thing. I haven't yet heard someone who's pursued God their entire life and gave themselves fully over to him, that they've sought him out, that they've, that they've said that that was something that they regret. I think about my own life and I think about the mistakes that I've made and I don't, the, 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 the mistakes I don't regret are the ones I was doing for God. That I was doing in faith. I've done some ridiculous things in pursuit of Jesus. Uh, one of my friends said I should write a book titled Undignified because that really captures my Christian life. And I've made a fool out of myself. I tried open air preaching at George Mason uh, to a crowd of drunk people. I don't recommend it as a very effective means of communication, <laughs> communicating the gospel. Uh, I, I, I went up, to, you know, my a friend, of course, was like, hey, you should, you should just, Look, all these people are gathered here. You know what happened in the New Testament, right? They'd just preach to everybody and everybody be saved and it, you should do it. I'm like, yeah, that's right. It happened in the Bible. Some Acts 2 stuff. Let's go. So I walk up this, I walk up this balcony. I wasn't going to share the story, but I walk up to the balcony and, and, I, and I look down and everybody's partying and I'm like, hey! <laughs> and a couple hundred people stop what they're doing with their solo cups and they look up and I'm like, oh no. I had no plan. I had no, I had no plan. I didn't even really think I was going to do that. I thought I was going to come up with some reason that it wasn't going to work and just walk down the stairs. But I was shaking, adrenaline's going, and I'm like, oh, what do I do now? I'm just like, just want to let you know. <laughs> There's a God and he's real and he wants to show you his love, but you're going to have to change. <laughs> Like had nowhere to go, and this one guy's like, ah! <laughs> and then you know, it just kind of you know just returned to normal. And I went down the stairs, uh, barely my legs were shaky. I, <laughs> I was so terrified. I'm actually a little nervous just sharing the story. I'm like remembering that moment. I've done, I've done some foolish things. I, some some less than effective and less than beneficial things. Um but I don't regret it. Would I do it differently now? Yeah, absolutely. Would I approach it differently? Yes. But it's not regret in the same way that I regret the things that I've done out of insecurity. Oh gosh. The lies that I've told, the untruths I've allowed to continue, the excuses I've made. My God, help me. Those I regret. So I know even in my short life, seeking the Lord and, and the fruit that comes out of it, I, those aren't things I regret. 
things I, ways I shared badly and incorrectly, things that I shared that I thought were true that weren't as true as I thought they were, don't regret those the same way. It's like, you know what? God corrected me, and I'm in the right place now. God will chase them down and correct it. There's enough of a deposit for him to bring them truth too. Right, so I've, I've made mistakes, but there's, it's, not, it's not shame. It doesn't come with it shame and separation from God the way that the things that I've done out of insecurity have produced. Seek the Lord. Respond to that longing in your soul by chasing after Him and not relationships, not in parties, not in alcohol. Find the comfort and the security of God and in Him. And the way that we seek him, one of, the, one of the ways that we seek him is by coming on a Sunday morning and being like, God, introduce yourself to me. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to know you. And hopefully it, during worship, you've experienced something of the presence of God. Hopefully as we were praying for the children, something woke up in your spirit about, oh, this is, there's, there's more to this life than I realize that there is. And as we read the word and we're standing and you hear God's word to us and you hear the written expression of God's heart and mind shared with us, hopefully something stirs in your spirit. And as we talk about the potential for life and the, and the threat of death as we talk about those things hopefully your spirit's stirred and you're encouraged but on our own time we can read the bible and we can go hey god so you've given us this word you've given us this book you've preserved it through time you've inspired its writing and its protection and and so what do you have to say to me there's a funny meme i saw recently it's like it, it was like it was like of a person crying out for god to speak and saying that God wasn't saying anything and the Bible was sitting on the desk. And I think sometimes we're waiting for the writing on the wall. I just want to let you know, the writing on the wall was a bad thing. It was really bad. You can look it up if you want. Like, just Google it when you go home today for your Bible study. Be like, what was the writing on the wall? The writing on the wall was bad. I like the writing in the Bible. I like the, I like the black ink and the red ink in the certain Bibles, right? Call on the Lord. As we seek the Lord and as we, as we begin to pursue him, we will recognize that, oh, this isn't just like, this is something, my heart is stirred for this. There's something happening here. I want, I want that over there. If I'm, if I'm looking for my, my child in the neighborhood and, and I see them across the way and I'm like, oh, there's, there's my child. Uh, hey, Audrey! If you see each other in a stadium and you're looking for your friends or you're, you're looking for each other at a sports field or something else, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, you're searching, and then you call for the person so that you can come even closer. And so there's this seeking and this looking, and then you realize the thing that you're seeking and you call to it and you're drawn closer. And then it says, forsake his way. Now, this word forsake is pretty intense. The word forsake means to, to basically push away from, but like with disgust almost. To forsake it, to be like, ugh. Shake it like a bad habit, right? Kick it like a bad habit or whatever, pick your phrase. We want to move away from that thing with, with a little bit of disgust. Like, I can't believe I, I was doing that. I can't believe I thought that. You ever eaten something and then you find out what it was and then you're like, okay, we're done. You're not living if you haven't had that experience yet. And you're like, okay, a little disgusted, and you push it away, and you forsake it. You're like, I'm not doing that. Forsake the wicked way. 
The manner of living, the lifestyle, the exhortation in the New Testament is to, set a, uh, is to, uh, is to be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and impurity. Pick a new way to live. Reject the wicked way. Forsake his thoughts. And so now we see that there was this kind of distance seeking, this closer calling, this forsaking of action. Now we've got this forsaking of thoughts. If you've been walking with Jesus very long, you, you might have already stopped cussing. You might have put, you, you might have stopped, you know, serial relationships or whatever, whatever your, your struggles were. You, you've, you've laid those aside. And as you walk closer to Jesus, you spend time with him. You start becoming more like him and you start giving, getting rid of things and, and changing your mind about things and being like, oh yeah, that's, I, I don't, I don't have the same appetite for that the way that I used to because it doesn't, it doesn't scratch the itch the way that the itch needs to be scratched. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to forsake that. But so there's, there's then the way of doing things. And then we've got our thoughts and it's like, it's like big rocks in the garden. And then we've got little rocks in the garden. You know, anybody can see when there's a big rock in the garden and you're kicking the dog out in the front yard. <laughs> but what about when we're kicking the dog in our mind? What about when we're doing worse in our mind? When we're, when we're living at like 99.9 degrees Celsius, just waiting for something to take us over the top, water boils at 100 degrees Celsius. You're just kind of sitting there. And then something takes you over the top and then, it, and then it just all unloads. We need to forsake even wicked thoughts, these thoughts that are far from him. Because, you know, it, the reality is it's hard. Not hard, it's impossible to both be calling on the Lord and treasuring wicked thoughts. I've tried. If we're honest, I think we've all tried, haven't we? We've been right on the doorstep of temptation. Or maybe we had already walked in the door. <laughs> or we, we've heard knocking on the door and we're sitting here and we're like, I really want... I really want to do this thing that I shouldn't be doing. And then the thought enters of God and it's fleeting and you're, you're wrestling with it and you're like, oh, I want to honor God, but I really want to sin also. We need to forsake the sin. They can't inhabit and dwell in the same place. You're going to give yourself to one thing or the other. You know, I love little journals and stuff like that, but they're talking about multitasking. They say we can't actually multitask. And that's why we can't do it. It's, it's true in our soul. It's true in our mind. And it's been true for all, of, for all of time that we weren't built with the capacity to multitask in human function. So like my brain, I can be thinking of things of the Lord or be thinking about perverse things. And they say multitasking, you're really just switching very fast from one to the other slower for some of us like me fast is not the word i would use we need to forsake our thoughts and step five is to return to the lord just to return as you've taken this inventory there's the far off scene this calling near rejecting the way that i was walking starting to reject the thoughts it's then just returning to the lord and laying ourselves down at his feet and saying god it's you i want So if it's so simple, why is it so hard? It's because when we've messed up, shame rears its ugly head. 
and the benevolence and the goodness and the love of God is called into question. It's the same accusation that occurred in the garden with Adam and Eve. They wanted to eat of this fruit. God said, do everything you want, just don't eat of that one fruit. And Adam and Eve are like, eh, okay. And so they're going and they're eating everything, everything else but that one thing. And this, the, the enemy comes, the, Satan comes and tempts him. And he's like, hey, you know, he just doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding something back good from you. By the way, which is the root of most of our other sins, the pride of life, pride of the eyes, all that. But really, we feel like something's being held back from us. Think about everything bad you've ever done. You felt like it was going to be good right? We don't do drugs because we think it's going to destroy our life. We do it because we think it's going to bring us some relief. We don't go to the bottle because we think that the bottle is, is going to be awful and give us a bad hangover and mess us up. We go because we think it's going to give us relief. And we think that people who told us not to do it are holding something bad from us. Oh, you're just telling me not to do that because you don't want me to feel good. No, I'm telling you not to do that because it will kill you. It will destroy your life. And, we, and so we, 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 we're in the garden and, and Adam and Eve are sitting here and they're like, oh, wait a second, God is holding something back from us. He doesn't want us to be like it. What is, what is that about? To this point, all they'd known was what was good. And they were about to be awakened to a whole reality that they weren't ready for. It's the reason I protect my kids from the internet. My goodness, just two clicks away on some safe websites. Right? It's kind of like a modern-day tree of good and evil, isn't it? Hey, Dad, can we, can we look this up? Nope. Can we look this up? Nope. Can we look this up? Nope. Because I don't want you being constantly stimulated. I was reading this week about dopamine. So novelty releases dopamine in your mind. And so you want new things. So, so you see something new, you get dopamine, it feels good, you're like, hey. And then what happens is we, we, start, we, we get addicted to dopamine and we want more and more dopamine. So we want more and more stimulation. So we look at more and more things, which is why ESPN and all these other channels, they change sessions so quickly because they need to keep your dopamine up so that you don't change the channel. That's why we change channels like that, gentlemen. We're just dopamine deficient. And we're sitting here, we're like, not doing it for me. Lifetime, no. Oxygen, no. ESPN, yes. <laughs> Curling, I don't understand it, but yes, somehow this makes sense for about three minutes. And then time for ESPNU and 15 football games. And each game gives us more endorphins in, in the red zone channels, right? Like, so like you can get updates on all the scoring. So you're watching your game. And just in case you get a little bit bored with the one game you're watching with all the distractions and advertisements and everything else, it's going to notify you every time there's a touchdown because we need more dopamine. <laughs> so I'm trying to teach my kids to reject that temptation to go for stimulation online. Go break a stick or something. It'll make a neat sound. Go break a bunch of different kinds of sticks. It'll make different kinds of sounds. See, a rotted stick makes that sound. A wet stick doesn't crack at all. It turns green and it splinters and it hurts you. You know, teach you about life. But shame goes on display. And, and shame is the fear of rejection. So they, they, they eat this thing. God comes out and he's like, where are you? What'd you do? Not because he doesn't know. He just wants them to know that he knows. And it's like, it's like I asked my kid, you know, with icing on their face, who ate the cupcake? You know, and it's like giving them an opportunity to step out. But shame grips their heart and they hide. And they're like, God, I can't. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so for you and I, when we get convicted of our sin and we feel the pressing of God and we're like, oh, my way is wicked. My thoughts are wicked. And we feel the pressing of God. We feel shamed. And we're like, I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if I can trust him. 
going to reject me. It's all a trap. He's, he's, he's just going to draw me in and then reject me because that's what the world has done for me. He's going to see my weakness and he's going to reject me. No, it's because of your weakness that he's calling you. Come on. Shame is the big problem in relationships too. You, you mess up with someone and then you don't want to see them. Right? You, want to, you just want to avoid them and do everything you can to avoid them because there's shame. There's fear of being rejected. Sometimes there's fear of smacking someone, but oftentimes it's, you, you'd smack them because you feel rejected. And so there's this fear of rejection and you want to stay away. And, but some of us who, who, some people who even say, well, no, I, I go after the people who hurt my feelings. Well, you go after them because you like the feeling of a clear conscience more than you hate the nagging of shame. So for, for, those of, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, you've been walking with him for a while, I just want to say that in verse 7, it could be taken one of two ways. Wicked referring to all unbelievers, and that certainly is the case. I actually think it's taken both ways. Wicked being all believers, so it's a call for everybody who's been far from God to come back. But the people that were being spoken to in this time were the people of God, and so it was you and me who are Christians and have surrendered their life to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, you're wicked ways. So you're not off limits just because, <laughs> just because you've been walking with Jesus for a while or you've been through a membership process at some church and, you know, you, you've got 14 spiritual gifts. <laughs> there aren't 14. It's general enough that it could embrace both of those things. But it's clear that all of us need to respond. Now, this, this is cool. It seems to me that God's disposition is one to bless, not one to curse. Because what we see is that there's this desiring to have compassion that's innate in this conversation. It says that he may have compassion on him. In other words, can God have compassion? Is he able to do so? Does the potential for that exist? Absolutely. In order to receive the compassion that's kind of the potential of the compassion that's built up behind this dam of our shame is to respond to him. And that opens up the ability for him to be able to love us so that he may do it. So he may show us compassion and abundantly pardon us. Just speaking personally, abundantly is a good word for that. I need the abundant pardoning of God in my life. And this is, this is the reasoning for all of this. God's disposition, God's, uh, God's thoughts are different. His, it, it basically, he thinks about different things and he thinks about things differently. And I can't go into detail about that, but I think you can come up with your own examples of ways, things that you think about that God's maybe not thinking about in ways that you might think about a situation that God doesn't think of it in that way. Adam and Eve, again, they ate the forbidden fruit and all the knowledge they had, they didn't know about mercy. And all the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't know about Mercy. The tree wasn't going to let them know everything, which is what they were hoping for. The same way, no temptation will give you everything that you want it to be. 
It'll give you just enough that you think you've got everything. But they ran out with incomplete information. They didn't know about the mercy of God. Because from where they were standing, they were saying, oh, so good and evil. We were good. We disobeyed. Now we're evil. It's the end for us. But God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And they didn't, they didn't really understand the power and the effectiveness of love that produces mercy at the same time as justice. They didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. And so God comes in with these higher thoughts, these different thoughts. And he shares with them and he covers their nakedness. He killed some animals, covered their nakedness. They had covered themselves with fig leaves. Problem with fig leaves is they they disappear, they, they wear out, they wilt. And so we'll try and cover ourselves, our shame. We'll try and cover our guilt with with our own fig leaves. But our own covering only temporarily covers our shame. It's going to wilt. It's going to dry up. It's going to fall apart. And we're going to be constantly covering. He said, no, 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 I'm going to permanently cover you. I'm going to per- permanently cover you with the animal or with the flesh of an animal now, and then I'm going to permanently, always, and forever cover you with the blood of my son Jesus. The effectiveness of God's word is that, unlike our words, which certainly set things in motion, they might not produce what it is that we want them to produce. You ever said something meaning something and it was misunderstood, so an encouragement became a problem? You ever done the opposite? That's really confusing. When you try and correct, you know, you, when, you, when you try and be like, no, that, that was wrong, and it comes across like, yes, that was right. I've done that. It was weird. My words aren't necessarily going to affect the change that I desire for them to affect. But God's utterance is penetrating. It's productive, and it's reliable, and it's going to do absolutely positively what it's set out to do without fail. And, and he's the one that's going to see it through and he's the one who's going to bring it to completion and he's the one who's ultimately in the end going to be glorified by all of it in, 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 in the end anyway. He's the one who's going to be glorified by his word doing what it set out to do. And so God being the, the perfect preacher lays out this neat metaphor and, and I would encourage you read it this week on your own. Read it and, and, and ask God how this works that as rain and the snow come down from heaven and doesn't return there, but water the earth, making it to uh, bring forth. So it didn't just fall down and go up, but it falls down. It brings benefit to the thing that it falls on, causing everything to come forth and sprout, which he put in place to come forth and sprout in the first place, right? So he's not just working at one time. He's working like, hey, I'm going to work this water thing because I've already worked this other thing. And so when these things are working in conjunction with one another, it's going to bear really good fruit. It's going to be pretty awesome. And I'm going to be glorified. But it's neat to see. So, if, so on your own time this week, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've got that longing in your heart, look at Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. And, and think about the many ways that God is working on many levels and thinking differently about your situation than you're probably thinking about it. And he's thinking different thoughts about your situation than you're probably thinking about the situation that you're in. And consider how he's probably... I say with sarcasm, he's probably watering 
and bringing to fruition and returning to cloud and watering and bringing to fruition and bring so that you can be nurtured and you can be provided for and you can be cared for. We need to seek the Lord, call on the Lord, forsake our wicked ways and our thoughts. We need to return to the Lord. We need to acknowledge our guilt and recognize the forgiveness and the glory of God that is extended to us. For us today, it's not, it's one big R, repent, and we turn back to him and we surrender our lives. And he covers us always and forever. And then the rest of our life is dedicated to continually seeking and calling and turning and walking and turning and getting closer and closer and closer and more and more intimate and enjoying more and more and more the benefits of being a child, a son, a daughter of God.